taking a bitch in my lap. That completes the order. However you wanna go, do whatever makes you happy. Do whatever makes you happy. Do whatever makes you happy. Hey, what's up, y'all? It's Black Loud and Proud, and this is Straight Yak, No Motherfucking Chaser, um, coming to you every Tuesday. Sponsored, brought to you by the Black Queen Collective. Um, this week, this month, I'm doing something a bit different. Really want to just get into um, topics, multiple topics, um, but conversations surrounded by, um, surrounded, not by, but conversations about black mental health like african-americans and how we deal and cope with mental illnesses or how we often avoid um doing that so there's like five tuesdays in may this is the first one um bills have to be paid hope everybody paid their rent <laughs> um, I haven't, but eventually I will. If you'd like to PayPal me or send me some donations, I'm, I'm opening uh, to, to, to accept them because times be hard, and I don't know how the hell the first of the month slipped up on my ass, but it did, and it's here. Um, but I digress. This show can be about anything I want it to be. History. Um, I'm going to get into some history soon, but right now we're going to talk about something that's really important. And we might even talk about a bit of the history behind, um, you know, black folks dealing with um, mental health issues. Um, but ultimately, this is Mental May, and we'll be talking about um, how it's a taboo. Um, next week, I'm going to have some brothers on talking about, you know, like men, African-American men and how they battle with their issues. Um, the third week in May, I'm actually going to talk about myself and battling some shit. I'm going to let y'all get into some of my business a bit. Um, but I'm going to try not to get too deep into it because the federal government already has enough of my fucking information, I'm sure. <laughs> So I don't want to aid them any more than I already have um, in the records that they have on me. Um, and then the fourth week, um, you know how black women, we always have this thing where we're supposed to be so strong that oftentimes um, we don't allow ourselves to be vulnerable or to be transparent and really think about um, how we need to take care of ourselves, like mentally. And then the last one, you know, I'm just going to invite some people on and have them share, like, some natural remedies and things that you can do to, to deal with stress because everybody's stressed on the damn job. And if you're an entrepreneur, I'm sure you're stressed, you know, like dealing with the different people that you have to deal with day to day. Um, and stress and depression and all of those things that plague us often. Um, but it's going to be a month full of stuff about mental health. And today, I want to invite one of my dear friends and my sisters on to help me talk about um, why and how and how we've allowed time and time again for um, our mental health to be, like, so taboo. Like, why is that such a sensitive subject in so many places, spaces for black people? So welcome, sister. Hey, my queen princess, this is Rhonda Bostic. <laughs> <laughs> I am um, a black girl from Florida, uh, working in HBCU. I uh, have had a kind of a longstanding um, 
relationship and exposure with mental health um, interactions and um, got my master's in uh, counseling psychology, well, counseling per our KCREP um, application that's going through uh, in the inaugural class at um, my HBCU. Um, I had interned at SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, my last semester of um, undergrad uh, up in the D.C. metro area. I um, also did a fellowship with the uh, psychiatric department of the National Referral Hospital in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. And um, I had my own uh, interaction with, with mental health uh, interactions from a very, very personal perspective. Um, so it's, it's really interesting um, after getting this degree and uh, throughout my journey and my, my family's journey, seeing how uh, much of an impact um, this topic has on our community, has on our um, just being, uh, how it has historical perspectives and things of that nature. And um, Queen Princess, in her uh, previous episode with the, the gentleman that was talking about relationships, and they got into the opportunity or the position of um, getting real deep and personal. I was like, hey, I really want to be a part of this this discussion, and I'm really excited for the opportunity to be able to talk about um, how mental health is so taboo in our community and how that's really hurting us as a people. It is so detrimental. And, you know, like for me, one of the things, you know, that is constantly representing itself over and over again is the issues that um, blacks are having with the police and, you know, state-funded, sponsored, supported, induced terror, you know, against black people. And, you know, the statistics have come out over and over time and time again, and I can't keep up with them. But, you know, once, once at one point, it was just like, on average, every 28 hours, a black man, woman, or child, or someone with a mental illness or disability was being murdered by the police. And this is still going on. Um, it just doesn't hit the news. And what has been interesting to me is something that I have been saying um, time and time again and haven't really figured out how to deal with is this issue that a lot of the people that have even hit mainstream news that have been murdered by the police had mental illness of some sort. Yeah. Um, the yeah. most recent one that comes to mind um, is the young brother that they killed the day after Christmas in Chicago. Mm -hmm. um, he battled with, you know, mental, with a mental illness, and his family called because they wanted assistance from the police, and this is constantly happening, you know, to help manage his behavior and what was going on because I guess he was having a manic episode of some sort and they didn't know what to do. So they called the police and that resulted in not only the death of that young man but also an elderly woman that lived in that Exactly. And, and, and that's one of the things um, that I had uh, made some notes to, to discuss and um, that's how our system continue, continually um, fails us as, as, a, as a folks. But that situation and, and how, you know, mental illness, it, it's kind of 
it's been planned. I'm looking at um, a, a handout that I got at a, a social justice and education uh, forum that I went to, um, and it's, you know, how high-stakes testing feeds the prison, the school-to-prison pipeline. So, you know, research has been shown over and over again that, you know, people are building prisons based off of, uh, you know, elementary school test grades. And these people, because we just had a situation here in, in Daytona Beach where um, a family took their uh, took the, a young man to get help to the hospital to get services, and because he may or may not have been presenting with a particular issue, they sent him home. And you know, I think it was the next day, but it was you know, um, very soon after a, a tragic incident happens where now someone's dead and someone is, you know, maimed and a young the, the young man is now in prison as opposed to getting the mental health assistance that he needs. So it it's 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 really unfortunate when, you know, people go to seek help and they can't get it. But then at the same token, um it, it it's set that way. Like there there are constructs in our society that, that are allowing those things to happen because that's how it was orchestrated to happen. And I try often not to pull the race card, but let's keep it real. You know, in situations of this nature, white kids will typically get rehab and black kids go to, you know, juvie or jail. Indeed. Um, That is the reality that we face. And it's just like in various cities that I've lived in, you know, like, um, and I'll talk more about me later on this month. But like when I was younger, like health and mental services wasn't really a thing like they're there and then and then there's there institutions that are available but they're very limited in what they do um they seldom follow through and they generally follow by the book procedures which doesn't apply to everyone mm-hmm. and it's like um being in Georgia that system pretty much failed me um living in DC I didn't really deal with it um, when I was an undergrad, I just, you know, I was just so busy and so occupied and, you know, too busy having fun and, you know, living life or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I got older, you know, shit started getting realer and I, and I struggled yeah. to deal with that. And like, when I moved to Chicago, Chicago's mental health services and system is in fucking shambles. And you have a city of three million people plus where mental health services are few, far in between and unavailable, especially if you're poor. Like, Mm -hmm. it just damn near doesn't exist. And it's like, how are people supposed to get treated and are supposed to help and maintain a a certain level of mental well-being when they don't even have access to the bare minimum of services? Um. And 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 so you know, and then the stigma that comes behind seeking services, mm-hmm. um, which is, is important. Like people don't want to admit, like, oh, you know. And it, it's funny because, you know, we had planned for this episode like earlier this week, and then, mm-hmm. um, being that I was off, I just started binge watching TV. I should have been reading. <laughs> <laughs> more than I than I was, but I was watching TV. Listen, I work every fucking day. I be reading shit all the time, so I decided I'm gonna binge watch some TV. Right. And one of the like, I mean, you know, it's interesting because there's a new push for like all of this black 
programming on TV. And it's not like mm-hmm. the same programming we had in the 90s, per se, but we do have some pretty good shows that are on. And, of course, Blackish being the number one that's on oh, right yeah. now. And yeah. I would encourage people, if you're not, if you, when, 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 when I first heard of Blackish, I was like, oh, fuck that. You got to be kidding me. And <laughs> one of my friends from undergrad who had actually had the opportunity to see the pilot already, um, mm-hmm. way before it came out, she was just like, you need to wait until you see it because I don't think you'll have, you'll share those same sentiments. And I was like, oh, I'm a critic and I don't like shit anyway. So I was already like, oh, no, nah, whatever. So when I watched the first episode, I was like, well, ain't this some shit? So I've been into it ever since. It's like a really good show. And it's like the, the title of it can take you aback. But the reality is, it's just like, you know, we're quote-unquote middle, and I don't believe in the middle class, but we're middle class people, we got a little money, and we have access to some shit, and it's hard, you know, not to buy into all of this white shit around us, so we're black, we're going to at least, at minimum, keep it blackish in this space. We might not be able to keep it all the way black, but blackish. And so it's like blackish is on, and then in the last year, um, or less, the show, the Carmichael show, um, came about. And honestly, the only reason why, the only reason why I actually know about the Carmichael show is because, um, Lil Rail, Rail Howery, um, I think Will's, I was gonna say he's from the South Side, but I think Rail is from the West Side of Chicago. Um, Mm -hmm. he's a comedian. He's awesome. If you haven't seen Lil Rail in, like on TV or on the Comedy Central special he did like like some months ago, he is so fucking hilarious. I saw him <laughs> at this black-owned comedy spot on the south side of Chicago called Jokes and Notes. If you're in Chicago, um, even just visiting, you should definitely go because Jokes and Notes is open like five nights a week, I think. Um, and it's just funny. It's a damn good time to support a black business and just have a good time. Like I get to go to Jokes and Notes and not have a great time. Two drink minimum, of course, so you can't go if you're too broke because it's like $20 to get in. But if you go on like Friday before, like the 8 o'clock show, I think it's two for 20 But anyway, um, I saw him when one of my um, my best friends came into town for her birthday. And I was like, oh, I'm going to show you the city. Woo, woo, have a good time. So, and so one of the things, I, my go-to shit is to go to Joe Snow. Man, mm-hmm. Lil Real came in there and killed a fucking set. He's hilarious. So... Check out YouTube, Lil Rail. Um, I think it's just R E L. Um, Lil Rail, he's funny, hilarious as fuck. Um, so I saw him on Instagram like promoting this show, and I was like, okay. <laughs> and so then I started watching it, and it's like, it's not blackish, but nothing else should be blackish. But it's a it's a show full of black people. Everybody is grown, um, and they talk about everything that's going on under the sun, like everything, like gun violence, Black Lives Matter, um, sexual um, STDs, and like all, like, it's just so many, like, pertinent topics that, you know, we should all be addressing and talking about a lot. Um, mm-hmm. like every show is like something that black folks should be talking about, that we should be, not just black folks. Well, I only care about black folks. So some shit that we're supposed to be talking about. Um, yeah, I had, and you know, they, they, they talk about it. They focus on, on social justice issues. And sometimes I think it's corny, but it's still a good show. Like mm-hmm. it's a good show and it's quality content. 
And the last episode that I actually watched, which is probably not the latest, I was just like passively trying to catch up, um, was this episode about mental health. Mm-hmm. And the show starts um, where the mom is Loretta Devine, and y'all know how Loretta is. Um, <laughs> she's like, she's, you know how she is. She's so dramatic, but you've got to yeah. love her, and she's actually an incredible actress. She's just like typecasting sometimes. With the exception of her role on, wasn't she on, uh, wasn't she on Grey's Anatomy? Um, yes, a little she bit. had anyway, um, white. So that was a little different. She deviated there, but she always plays these goddamn tight tested roles, um, which I hate, but she's still phenomenal at her art, her craft. Mm-hmm. So the show opens where um, Loretta Devine is in the kitchen, ironing some clothes, and then, like, suddenly she's crying. One of the family members walks in, and they're like, uh, are you okay? And they were supposed to be getting ready for the family pictures, and she's like, act like it never happened. Don't tell anybody. Don't say anything. And what had been going on was she had just been crying, like, randomly and being, like, overly sad and consumed with these, you know, with these feelings. And she just kept trying to push them off. But it came to a head once, you know, um, the family member that caught her, like, brought it to everybody's attention. And she's just like, oh, nothing's wrong. And, like, it's just been happening. And then her husband, like, affirms that she's been doing this for a while. And, like, her yeah. kids is like, wait, mom, that's, like, that's not normal. Like, maybe you're depressed. And she's like, ain't nothing wrong with me. <laughs> and it's so often, especially as women, and not even, and it's not even just a women thing. Like, as black it's people, everybody. like, we're supposed to be so strong. Like, men are just strong in general. You know what I'm saying? They're held to a strong esteem. And then as black women, we got to be strong black women if we're going to be mm-hmm. a fucking woman. You know what I'm saying? So it's yeah. like... We we det- we detest these things or these thoughts that maybe something might be wrong with us that's not quote unquote normal. But in fact, you know, these are normal things. These are facts of life. Like everybody is depressed at some point, and and that's a normal. How we part deal of life. with that? It's a part of life. Yeah. Um, and we have to like normalize it almost. So that people are able to, like, identify it and handle it accordingly. Because if not, you know what I mean? Like, depression goes untreated can lead to all types of shit. Drive law. You know what I mean? Like, and once yeah, you start losing one thing, it's a downward spiral. And then you're in this place and you're on the bottom. And you could have maybe possibly averted that whole crisis if you were just able to identify that, hey, something is wrong with me. And be treated. And you said two um, things even that are really, really important. Act like it never happened. People are in pain and, and we're not talking about it because we're trying to sweep everything under the rug instead of there is so much power in the knowledge of knowing what's going on with your body. People dismiss um, mental conditions so much because they just think that it's, you know, make-believe. But your brain is an organ. And most mental conditions are physiological conditions that are expressing themselves in the mind. 
and normalizing it. Like, not to say that, you know, we need to make it, it it's, it's regular, it's normal, it's a part of health. Like, you wouldn't tell a diabetic or someone with high blood pressure not to go and get treatment, not to go and seek the help that they need. And if they need medication, to take that medication. And I'm not saying that it has to be, you know, so it's medica- taking medication for mental conditions is really taboo, but sometimes somebody might need it, even if it's for an emergency purpose. And, you know, the whole act like it never happened and sweeping things under the rug is is why people are dying, is why people are committing suicide, is why, you know, uh, something that could have been not easily treated, but it, it wasn't necessarily an emergency in that moment, is now has come, become catastrophic in that person's life. And, you know, they, they can't get up and they, they can't take care of their children. So, you know, now you have children in the, the, the foster care system or whatever the, the, the case may be because people acted like it never happened. And people wasn't, and the people around them weren't able to identify. And the people around them weren't able to identify because they don't see mental health issues being a real thing. Or they don't right. know what it looks like. Like, depression looks like a lot of things. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Like, you know, being bipolar and like all of these other different, like, like de- depression isn't the only thing, but I think that's one of the like really prevalent things that we deal right. with. Um, you know, and like stress and anxiety and stuff like that. And it's just like, it's so taboo. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not a health expert. That's why I said, let me call somebody that knows some shit. <laughs> but, you know, I Google some basic stuff a little bit beyond Wikipedia. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I've been busy. I've been busy, but this is an important topic. So, you know, I'm Googling and I'm looking at different statistics and stuff like that. And it's just like, you know, um, we deal with so much stuff like our mental health and overall wellness, you know, is affected by so many things. Slavery and, you know, Jim Crow and you know, the prison industrial complex and all these different things and variables that go into, you know, that, that pour into us and that we deal with so often. And it's just like, you know, like, I feel like that we need to call on King Jesus and, 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 and that's going to be the the one and only thing that we need to depend on to, to make sure that we get our healing. Yeah, that's that's faith without works is dead. Okay, <laughs> like faith without works is dead. Frederick Douglass said, "I prayed for twenty years, but it wasn't until I moved my goddamn legs <laughs> that I saw something happen." And that's not like necessarily saying I don't need God or I don't need a higher being oh, or do. power or whatever it is yeah. that you make. You know what I mean? Like that's never saying that. It's saying no, that faith without works is dead. You can't just lean on that. You have a part. You have a role to play you have in your healing and your well business as well. It's not. It's not just Jesus or the ancestors or Jim James Paul and Tyrone or whatever it is. Oh. But you have to 
ascribing to a higher power, in my opinion, is one of the most helpful things when when getting through the healing process. Um, but you're exactly right. Like you, you have to do something, you know, whether it's eating well, whether or not it's making sure that you're getting in some exercise, whether or not it's, you know, focusing on, on your positive mentality. Um, it, it, there's so much that goes. And because we deal with so many things. Yeah. Like you say, you know, exercising or eating, you know, right. And that's, and that's important because exercising and eating right can actually shift your overall mood and your being. And You're getting, getting you know, the different vitamins and things that are stimulating different synapses or whatever it is in your brain that are mm-hmm. sending you good, positive vibes. And exercise, of course, you know, is a very good way to fight depression. But oftentimes, if you out here struggling, and you working all the time trying to, you know what I'm saying, pay your bills or you got a Girl. part-time job and you can't really pay your bills. Like, you can't be out here eating. The, you, the next thing you know, you're eating two, two for, um, what's them damn McDonald's commercials that I keep saying? The, <laughs> Let me get a big pick, too. I haven't <laughs> ate McDonald's in like nine years, so I don't give a fuck how broke I am. I'm not nitpicking no fucking no. I'm just not. But when you're broke... And your time is limited, and you might be depressed, and you don't have any desire or will to get up and cook. You're eating these things that's attributing to your depression and to your stress, yeah. like the way that you're feeling. And it's like this fucked up cycle that we often end up in, but we have to be aware and start talking about how all of these things affect us overall. It's not just, yeah. oh, you ate all the McPick twos and now you fat. <laughs> like it's like right. oh, you ate all those McPick twos and that's bad nutrition and bad nutrition affects you in these ways. You know what I'm saying? And it's like you know, there's so much that we deal with. I don't know anybody personally, whether they work on a plantation like myself or they work for themselves that is not dealing with stress in some form, yeah. shape, or capacity. And it's like when I was reading these statistics, it's like blacks are twenty percent more likely to report serious psychological distress than adult whites. We stress. There's a whole book about, you know, the type of stress and stuff we're going to post-traumatic slave syndrome. Like, the different shit that affects us is, like, deep. But if we don't talk about and the thing that really... Okay. The, the thing that's interesting is what you're talking about. Those are conditions that may be a focus of clinical attention. And there goes Charlie. Um, hey, Charlie. <laughs> so basically, those are those are things that get in the way of of the clinical, you know, therapy or counseling process because. If someone is homeless or and you know hungry, you have to deal with those issues before you can deal with the issue of you know this person is you know schizophrenic and hearing voices. Like they, there's some other really serious issues that need to be addressed before you can even get to the the root of the problem. So I I totally get you. Like it's it's complex. And it, it's a big deal, but the conversation has to start someplace. And like you were saying, you know, systems are set up where um, the, the system fails us on a regular. So at some point, we have to pull up our bootstraps in our community and figure out what we can do for ourselves. And yeah, we definitely need to have more conversations about how these things affect us. And it's so funny how stress and the different things that we 
go through really affects you. And it's like crazy because I posted like, uh, I've been wearing all these, I've been trying not to look like a slave, right? <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, you know, we went to Dubai and I was showing like my coworkers, um, pictures. Like, I had sent, like, some people at the library, I sent them, like, pictures when we were in Dubai. When I got back, they were just like, you sent the, the pictures, and I was looking for you. Like, I, and then I was like, that is princess right there. The reason why they had trouble picking me out is because I look like a slave. At work. And I'm not talking about the slaves on underground. I'm talking about, like, the real, like, low down, like, I wear them in the same raggedy, tattered shit to work every day. I ain't got on no, I ain't got on no, uh, I, Jasmine Sullivan told me never to leave the house without mascara on, but I be going outside the house <laughs> in any type of way because I be tired. So I get up, I'm like, this shirt is clean and these jeans still clean. And I put the motherfuckers on, go to work and look a hot ass mess. So when they saw me in our popping ass pictures in Dubai, they was like, that doesn't look like you. So anyway, so anyway I've been trying to I've been trying to switch it up. And it's like once I started coming to work looking like, you know, Somebody. A regular person, my coworkers, if, like every day I would come in, they're like, oh, you must got somewhere to go when you get off from work. <laughs> she must got a date. I'm like, I just, I just actually decided to come in looking like Princess Black versus <laughs> Princess from the Making Plantation. I just, you know, whatever. So, <laughs> long story short, <laughs> as I digress, I posted a picture today. Um, in this shirt that I'm finally able to fit in again. <laughs> Hello, veganism and weight All loss. Right. Um, come through. I'm able to get in the shirt that I ain't worn in like over a year. I'm like, yes. So somebody was like, damn, you got all the popping shirts. And I was like, I, I was like, you know, PTSD has made me put some weight on. And I'm finally, like, sliding back out of it. So here's the shirt that you probably didn't see, you know, in the last year. Like, it's been in my drawer. I just wasn't able to wear it. And it's right. like, it was it was me being funny, but it was also be, me being real. And it's something that I yeah. have trouble processing, but, like, something that I've thought about deeply. Um, <laughs> so um, a lot of people, and I wouldn't say everybody, but um, I would say, majority of you know the people who listen to my podcast and who are my friends who are familiar with Francis Crest Welsing if you're not I like to say in this moment is Google it because I've deviated enough but she's like <laughs> a renowned African you know uh, I want to be her you know wo- <laughs> African I, woman I, I, and you know what I'm saying yes yes uh, and and most people do she wrote the ice paper <laughs> And it's like a classic, and it's like, you know, when you think of black psychology, you think of Amos Wilson, you think of Francis Wilson, Wilson, you think of, you know, like all of these giants who have done the work and laid the foundation in what makes our mental health and wellness so intrinsically different than others because of all the shit that we've been through. And Francis Quest Wilson, I had the pleasure of meeting her sister. When I was working on my master's degree, the first one, <laughs> and um, when her sister, when I was introduced to her sister, you know, to help me do my research, 
So it was like, oh, this is Lauren Crest Love. And I was like, oh, Crest, that reminds me of Crest Wilson. She was like, that's my sister. So her sister, and right from, I mean, I feel like, I feel like certain people are raised in a certain house and then they like, oh, it's just like some fucking G's. So her sister is a G too. Her sister used to be, um, her sister was, a, uh, she was a, a field member of the Student Nonviolent Coordinator Committee, SNCC. Yes, um, And, you know, yeah, her, like her sister was in SNCC. Yeah, she worked in the field in Mississippi. So you already know the terrors and errors that she experienced in fucking Mississippi. Yeah. So much so yeah. that she really didn't want to talk about it. But she brought up something that was like really something that I never thought about. How all of our, you know, civil rights heroes and stuff like that, how they really have PTSD because of all the shit that they experienced and the fear and the terror and all the shit that they saw and their life on edge online and you know, shit being blown up and losing people, like, for decades, you know, like, while they were fighting this war. And when she put that out there for me, she was just like, you know, like, we all have PTSD. And I was like, damn. That would explain why, you know, a lot of the people from that movement are, you know, they have drug problems Mm -hmm. um, because their mental health and wellness was neglected. You know what I'm saying? And it's just like, so that was a conversation that I had with Lauren Crest Love in like probably 2010 when I was working on my master's research project. Mm -hmm. And fast forward to like August 9th, 2014. And then fast forward to my black ass being in Ferguson and fast forward to, you know, like all of these, you know, protesting and being jailed and like all of this, you know, harassment and like really how for a while I was like really paranoid. Like I had a, like not long after I left, Ferguson, I had a dream one night that I was running from the police. And I, it's the first time, to my knowledge, that I've ever jumped out of my bed while still unconscious. And I smacked my head into a wall, like, oh, hard. God. So much so that, like, yeah. the skin underneath my the skin underneath my nose and in between my lips, like, split. And it was bleeding. Oh, and God. I woke up, one, because of the pain. And I, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm bleeding. And it's like, you know, I was afraid to, like, sleep with the light off. Like... Mm-hmm. Seeing police, you know what I mean? Like, I was increased, like, increased sensitivity, and it was just, like, so much going on that was bothering me, this paranoia, and, like, all of this different shit, and I just kept neglecting myself for a while, and I could only imagine these parents that have been going nonstop, or, you know, these wives and these husbands that have lost their, you know, their loved ones to police terror. Like, they're constantly being, you know, like subjected to this stuff and they haven't really taken a moment and really taken care of their health and all the people that I was in the streets with and all the people you know that were in Ferguson or whatever like they are affected and they may not even know it and they're not handling you know their mental health and wellness as they should be and so it's like so many levels to the neglect of mental health and issues and and how we even as a quote-unquote movement have neglected to address the issue that the police are killing our brothers and sisters who suffer from mental illnesses. It's not just um, it's not just the brother, the young man that was in college with a good GPA, with a you know promised future, um, who was a good student in Chicago that was killed. Is Tanisha Anderson? Her family was struggling to de- to you know deal with her mental um, issues, and they called the police for assistance, like they had done plenty of times before, but instead. She was slammed and killed by hand by the police. 
in November of 2014. The same thing happened to the young man, what was it, Caldrick Donaldson, that was in Florida, I believe. They killed him as well because the family called for help. And it's like, even the day that we were leaving Ferguson, I think that was August 19th, like 10 days after they murdered Mike Brown, mm-hmm. um, they killed, um, oh man, I see his face. Um, yeah. Kamaji Powell. Kamaji Powell. He was killed mm-hmm. in North St. Louis, like 10 days after Mike Brown, because he suffered from a mental illness. And, mm-hmm. you know, maybe he said out loud, you know, like, shoot me or whatever. But that was his mental illness speaking. That wasn't him. And they shot him. He wasn't a threat to them. Well, and... and but and the list thing, goes it, on. It goes on and on. And, and let's... So, I've had QPR training, which is um, suicide prevention and awareness. Um, and um, one of the things that we brought up that I never thought about and, and what you just, you know mentioned is especially with um black young men is that they'll do you know do something to get the the police's assistance and know that they're going to shoot them so you have an aided suicide so you know these are these are issues that we really do have to you know bring up and you know talk to our young men and you know i i'm loving seeing all these uh men's empowerment uh, forms and things of that nature because, you know, our young men need to understand that they, that they do have some, someone in the community who they can trust and, and where they can go to get assistance or go to get those men talks if they don't have that, you know, in their families or in their situations. And we have to be very vigilant and, um, just making it available for folks to um, get the treatment that they need. And and when you're talking about these, you know, all of these police murders, um, I was uh, texting with my best friend that lives up in D.C. today, down in Fort Pierce on last Saturday, uh, a young man was, you know, shot, murdered in front of her uh, cousin's house, you know, going to their house. And there's been, uh, you know, all sorts of issues around that. And I'm certain that it will, you know, blow up and start to get more publicity sooner than later but um in my preparation for our talk i pulled out my my books on community counseling and on addiction treatment and my dsm-5 because these are all areas that we really need to talk about there's so many people in our community who have mental disorders or conditions or whatever you know term folks want to use today or tomorrow um and and they're they're self-medicating and you know they, they become addicted to drugs because they're you know trying to figure out a way to feel better or to just check out from reality but there's so many different situations especially when it comes to trauma and all of these you know awful police interactions are a form of trauma for our communities you know we're not going to talk about the natural disasters um that that come into play with flooding and hurricanes and um like the last episode when i talked about you know like Houston like people think that's minuscule but ultimately that really affects you whether you know it or not it affects you tremendously I know that you know I just gotten back from Tanzania I'm dealing with all of my stuff and then Katrina happens and I'm like oh I need to pour all my money into the you know Red Cross and I've watched Hotel Rwanda and I just recall, you know, being able to explain how to pronounce my name as Rwanda without the W. So I'm like, hey, I need to send some money to, you know, Amnesty International and things of that nature. 
So all of these. Hey, Katrina alone is an interesting thing for me because one, and I think in June I'm going to have conversations about like how the media um, impacts us like so negatively. And it's like, I believe the media, when the media told me, oh, these niggas in New Orleans was poor, they ain't have shit anyway. If anything, this might be a good thing for them because now they got something better. Or they got better mm-hmm. options to come versus the shit that they, and you know, they were spinning these stories about how they weren't homeowners and all the shit, but everybody for the most part in the lower night owned their shit. Yes, and then became refugees. But because they, they told me that they didn't, like, I just became apathetic and I was like, oh, they better off. Knowing people from New Orleans is what allowed me to have a just slightly different perspective than someone. I didn't blink for months. Yeah. And you know what was a real big defining moment, I think, in my life was where I'm sitting up in my dorm room in Howard. I had just went to New Orleans for the first time, like the beginning of August. Of that, mm-hmm. like, so just a few weeks before Katrina happened, yeah. I was just in New Orleans, like, just there. So, you know, I'm sitting up in my dorm, um, months down the road. I'm watching the news randomly one night because I'm the type of motherfucker that'll be in their dorm room at night watching the news or watching PBS or some shit while everybody mm-hmm. else is out turning up. <laughs> so I'm in there. I'm watching this special on like MS- MSNBC. Some white chick is on there talking about um, she had went to do like an expose on how the insurance companies was fucking all these white people on the Gulf Coast where she was from. Mm-hmm. So she went to do this whole thing. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, damn. And then, like, because I was just coming into my consciousness, the second wave of them was, like, the the levy that broke for me was, like, oh, my God. I didn't give a fuck until I'm sitting here in my room one random night and some white bitches like, yeah, they fucking us. And I'm like, wait a minute. Let me think about this shit. Like, they not just fucking white people. They fucking everybody. And all these months I've been sitting here thinking about how – you know, these people are lucky. They getting better, you know. what? And I'm like, why did it take some white bitch to tell me this shit before I really care? And so I was just really fucked up. So it was like, your trigger. I end up going, I, I was really fucked up because I'm like, why did, it, why did I sit here and wait for some white bitch to tell me that it was okay for me to feel some type of way about what was happening to my people all this time and I didn't care until she said something. So that was a turning point for me in terms of like, girl, even though all these people have told you that you're supposed to trust the news and do all this other stuff, like, that's when I broke away from that. That was like my great awakening on like the media and how it's some bullshit and how I will never feed into it again. And so like, but most people don't do that though. And so, you know, I, right. And so it's like, Howard did this whole alternative spring break where instead of going to South Beach like everybody else, we would go to New Orleans and help, you know, um, rebuild and, you know, get some stuff, you know, and do community work and outreach. Truth in service. That's what Howard taught me. So we out in New Orleans and, like, it was a 24-hour bus ride. Oh, my God. That was so difficult. But... (laughs) When, but when you got there and you got in that space, it's like, fuck that bus ride. That wasn't shit. That wasn't nothing to go through versus what I didn't go through that. went through in August and what they're still going through on a day-to-day basis. Like, we stayed in a FEMA camp. And the reason why I said all of this shit was to get to the point of how that affected people. 
like terribly and psychologically. So we stay in a FEMA camp. We roll up. It's like a military camp, for yeah. lack of better terms. Like they out there, I think they might have had M16s or some shit. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like you see them like mounted on whatever, and they might have had some type of weapon, and they're like, put all your cameras away or whatever, woo-woo, and then you enter the gates of the FEMA camp. Really crazy. And it's funny because people be saying all the time, like on social media, you know, these conspiracy theory people like, oh, they got all these FEMA camps set up just to corral us into them, and they just waiting to open up, uh, uh, what is it called? Um, Martial law and the ship is all into these FEMA camps and fuck us up, you know, whatever. But no, I was in a real live FEMA camp and it's like we stayed in this camp, which was this huge ass tent, which had all of these tents inside of it. And it's like we're sleeping on a fucking cot. So, you know, I've been overweight for most of my fucking life. So it's like 200 plus odd pounds of my ass on this little tiny ass cot (laughs) and a fucking, and a fucking, uh, on this little tiny ass cot and I'm sleeping in a sleeping bag on top of this little cot. Like, mm-hmm. it's the folding metal things. I don't know what the fuck you call it besides a cot. Like, it wasn't it's like a, a little mattress in a cot. It's like, you were in a yeah, like the little folding metal thing. You fold a bitch out and lay in that bitch with a fucking sleeping bag. And it's like, for me, it was kind of like hard just being there for a week. But I'm like, imagine people that have been here for a fucking month yeah. living in this military FEMA camp with all of these people surrounding them that looks like this in this, you know, place that looks like this with food that tastes like this, with their rules, you have to come and go as they say. You can't get back after this hour. You can't do this. If you, you know what I mean? Like, if you're trying to work a job and they like, you can't, if you don't get off until midnight, well, the female clam says, your ass got to be back by fucking 10. So if you ain't back by 10, then bitch, you can't get in here until 5 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And it's like, how does that affect a person in... Like, for me, a week, it was like, oh, my God. But it wasn't, oh, my God, about me. It wasn't like, well, it's me. It's like, oh, my God, for the people that do this every day. And they have been mm-hmm. doing it for over six months. Yeah. That puts you in a certain mental space, and it's like, nobody came out to talk to you and counsel you through that. I know they didn't. It's me. Well, give a fuck well, about you. I will say that SAMHSA did deploy people. Um, my roommate was one of them. Um, but uh, And one of my professors in this program, actually my professor for my community counseling program, was there and was a counselor. But you're talking about a very limited number of, of, of mental health practitioners for a very, very, very large number of people. And they still had to get out to, to work and to, to, to live lives. And um, so I, I know that the, the impact, the desired impact wasn't, wasn't reached. It's clear. And, and you know, the, the current state of things. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's just a lot. And it's like, you know, not only is it taboo and it's something that we don't talk about and there's so many different levels to peel back and unfold and get to and so many people need this type of service and that type of service for this type of reason and that type of reason. But it's like oftentimes when we admit or someone diagnoses us with, you know, whatever, you know, the the prognosis may be, it's like, mm-hmm. I was reading these statistics and it says 63% of African-Americans believe that depression is a personal weakness. Like, 
63% of people view that as a weakness and not just as just means that they view the person that's depressed as a weakness. People that are depressed view it as a weakness and don't want to mm-hmm. embrace it. And it's not about, hey, let me embrace the fact that I'm depressed and just stay embraced. It's, I mean, stay depressed. It's about the fact that we really have to get down to the get down and determine, right. you know, what's wrong? How do we deal with it? And and you know, like honestly, the older I'm getting, and the more stuff I'm digging into, and you know, thinking about the things that the ancestors have done and what they did before Western medicine was here, you know, like whatever. Mm-hmm. When I start learning more and trying to be more about quote unquote alternative, you know, treatment and medication, which is which is interesting that they call it alternative because it's like, isn't this Western shit the alternative? Because before. <laughs> We were doing this, so really, this is the fucking alternative. But anyway, right? No, no, no. Absolutely right. Getting getting into you know like alternative medicine, it's like there's so many different things that you can do to combat these things naturally: diet, exercise, um, meditation, yoga, sleep. Sleep is important. It is essential. Like, as somebody who doesn't get enough sleep, um. I, who am I? But I know better. You know what I mean? I'm working on doing better. Y'all pray for me. <laughs> um, but there's so many different things that we can do. And it's hard to do because we got to work. We got to do this. We got to do that. We're trying to maintain our brand. We're trying to take care of these kids, this man, this woman. this Like, you know what I mean? It's so much going on for us. And we're like doing triple, quadruple work as, you know, black people. Um but we have to do better and we have to embrace and we have to start talking about these things. We have to talk about how rest is important. We have to talk about how diet is important. It's important that we start talking about how these make big tools are some bullshit <laughs> for multiple reasons. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's important that we talk about, you know, even the big thing in, you know, black conscious circuit right now is like, ADHD and how, you know, they doing, they trying to dope our kids up and, you know, send them to prison and all of this shit. But it's like, when you think about ADHD, a lot of the things that cause these educators who are incompetent for teaching our kids, because we don't have time to teach our kids or we don't have time to go and scrutinize these unfit motherfuckers that's in the school. Um... A lot of the sign of these incompetent educators when they're doing these evaluations and they're recommending these kids to be seen by these fucking, you know, let me just pump these kids with medication instead of, like, mm-hmm. really getting down to a solution. What they fail to talk about is they're saying your son or your daughter is hyperactive and she's doing all of these things and she got so much energy and she can't sit down to learn. And, I mean, we're not supposed to sit down to learn. That's not real. That's not a real expectation of a child. Um, I mean, do I think a child is capable? Absolutely. Um, for a short sense of time, <laughs> not for a year. Right. You know what I mean? What I expected of my child? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, it's like, and I've even observed some people that I would call friends or that I have called friends with children. It's like, you feel like your children are manageable, but I'm like them. They woke up. They went and got a Capri Sun. They automatically put themselves with sugar mm-hmm. and high high fruit high um fructose corn syrup and um dye and all of these different things. Like do you know how do you know how sugar affects the child? Do you know like and not only did they eat that Capri Sun, but then they had 
a fucking pop tart. Do you know how much sugar and bullshit is in a pop tart? So you done gave them, you done let them get a Capri Sun. You done let them get a fucking pop tart. Then you drive them to school and they slowly start bouncing off the walls because now this shit is in their bloodstream. Then they get to class and they're off the chain. And then this, and then by 11 o'clock, you done got a call like, yo, you need to come get this motherfucker. And then you like, oh my God, I gotta leave my job. You know, I don't know what's wrong with him. And then the white people was just like, well, he just need, he got ADHD. He needs some medication. No, bitch, you shouldn't have. Uh, y'all pray for me because I'm trying to take that word out of my language. Jesus, <laughs> but I'm just so worked up. It's just like, no, queen. You just gave him all of the fuel to that fire. And it's like red 44 and all of these different dyes. They affect the brains in different negative ways. And, and that's what his teacher saw all day. That's supposed to be in our bodies. That's what his teacher saw in him today. He saw red 44 and high fructose corn syrup. That's why they call you and said, come get this motherfucker. Because of the things that we're putting into our body. And there's preventative things that we can do. And honestly, some people just don't know. A lot of people just really don't know. The average person just does not know. And the biggest thing that is killing us as a people is ignorance. Ignorance to the things that we're putting into our bodies. Ignorance to the things that we put ourselves in as individuals. Um, Ignorance to just not knowing. Like, I I think I said it earlier, there is power. Ignorance in the age of information drives me crazy. No excuse. Yeah, yeah. Because Google can give you a whole, like, lineage lineage of, like, how... um, uh, Black Cat China, whatever her name is, Black China and Rob Kardashian, they give you a whole genealogical tree about how they child is like her ex-boyfriend's nephew or some shit. And I'm just like, you know all of this intricate shit and all this information that no, that I don't even know or understand. But you don't know basic shit, though. And you can't look You was able to punch up on your phone and get on a computer and go through Facebook to extract all of this bullshit-ass information, but you don't have the essential information. And I'm not going to blame them for it because we're not taught to be critical thinkers. We're not taught to discuss, um, you know, an alternative way to treat these, you know, symptoms that we see in children and adults. Also, what's the hormones that's in our food that we're eating, Mm -hmm. even as an adult? Mm -hmm. How is that affecting our relationships with each other as an adult? Like, you know, the new thing, like I was talking to, I was talking to my sister the other day, and it's like, you know, the new thing is like, oh, these niggas is bitches. Like, they acting like females these days. You know what I'm saying? And I hate that word, females, because when you say somebody is acting like a female, you're essentially saying she's acting like a bitch. Um, you're not saying she's acting like Michelle Obama. You know what I'm saying? You're not saying she's acting like Michelle Obama. You're saying she's acting like Kay Michelle. Like, and I'm not throwing Kay Michelle on the bus. That's just the only thing that came to my mind. It's as quick as I could. But I'm just saying, like, when somebody be like, oh, you act like a female, they're not saying you acting like Michelle Obama. And for me, I couldn't even put it like I don't when I when I hear someone say a female, when you say bitch, I, I hear like dog. I hear as a human being, I believe that I am a little just a, a little above my Charlie. So when you call me a female, you, you are considering you're calling me an animal. 
in my mind, that's how I perceive it. And then people be like, but we're all animals. No, but I'm a little bit higher on the hierarchy, hierarchy in yeah, terms of, like, yeah. intelligence and, you know, stability and all this other shit. But I'm just like, you know, like, people, like, people like men are acting like women now. Maybe it's because they eating a lot of food with estrogen, with like hormones and estrogen in it. And, and there's some research out there that shows that that, that that's very true. Um, you know, I haven't read all in the, the the details, but that there, um, you know, things that, that we're putting in our water um, that are changing other, you know, amphibians from male sex to female sex. So I mean, that's a, that's a valid conversation and a valid you know topic. And it, no, it's just so many things that are affecting us, but we have to really talk about these things. We have to talk about these yeah. things from an informed place because a lot of sometimes we start talking about stuff out of ignorance or some he said, she said, or I not everything, but I read, but more, oh, I saw on this YouTube. People say anything on YouTube. <laughs> People say anything on YouTube. People say anything on a DVD. Like a documentary is not true. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so, um, like I'm. I just want people to know that. Like you seek other things, you read other things in addition to like what is being Find written sources. and seen. Find right sources. <laughs> yeah, and then create a informed opinion based on like you know what I mean. Like so, it's just so many things that affect us on so many levels, and it's time that we start having pertinent conversations about how the things we experience, police terror, stress at work, mm-hmm. stress at mm-hmm. home, poverty, mm-hmm. how poverty is affecting us. Like, you know, people are like, oh, well, why can't you just pull yourself up out of bootstraps and do X, Y, and Z because Princess did it? Yeah, my mom and my daddy sold dope. And my mom used to be on crack, and my daddy was a cokehead once upon a time, and he crazy, and you know, like the prison system has made him this way, you know, whatever. Woo, woo. But I mean, at the end of the day, like I was able to do things differently because I had instances where I was given access and was able to experience something different, whereas other people who may have been in my position didn't have that access and exposure to those things. You were presented with opportunities and you took advantage of them. Right. You know what I mean? And I mean, I mean, or just even sometimes exposure, because sometimes it takes a while for you to actually come back to some shit that you were exposed to and be like, oh, that was real. Or sometimes it never happens. But, you know, people are like, well, you know, that stuff, like, oh, well, he did it, and, you know, this person, she did. And it's like, no, like, maybe that person didn't have access and exposure to certain things. I used to eat differently. When I was a kid, my mama was on drugs. I was, like, cooking my own, frying my own chicken and eating Papa John's and Pop-Tarts all the time. Like, that's, that's because that's all I knew. I didn't know what the fuck an avocado mm-hmm. was. Because if I did, I would have made myself a own, my own avocado salad. Why? Because I love avocados. Uh-uh. But I uh-uh. didn't have the access and exposure to that. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? I like, weren't sold in the stores in your neighborhood. This is true. I, you know what I mean? Like, 
I bought like an artichoke the other day, and I ate artichoke out, and my ex, you know, cooked me. Like, I was looking at that joint like, I got to Google how to cook this. I've ate it, but I don't know what to do with no damn artichoke because I haven't had access and exposure to people actually cooking, you know, artichokes in front of me. And you know what I mean? My message about how to cook kale. How am I supposed to do this? <laughs> and you saw how I said, I don't know, because I, I only do X, Y, and Z to kale. Right. Exactly. But you know what I mean? It's like you can't incorporate different things to combat or avoid or certain, you know, like mental things that come up. Like these are things that are affecting us. Our diet is strongly affecting us. It's affecting mm-hmm. our children even more so. And when, you know, earlier we spoke about how there's a prison to, you know, a school to prison pipeline. School to prison pipeline. Like, yeah, we piping them right into the prison system when we're when we're dumping like honey buns. And jungle juice in their ass before school. Like, how do you think they're going to act? And how do you think they're going to perform in a way that's going to lead them to where? Because I guarantee you, if we had, if all of our children were eating raw, dehydrated fruit roll-ups, like my sister Nikolai is making for her son, and, you know, like all of these different healthy things, and he's eating, like, you know, like, he blasted out a seven-day raw food diet like it's nothing, and I'm over here like, well, well how do I start? I guarantee yeah. you if all children had access to that type of food, they would act differently in a school environment, especially and if, if we they weren't talking about the enemy. And if we could normalize that, because I, I, I used to get picked on for eating, you know, decent food at the bus stop. Oh, you got a bagel. And I'm like, why am I being picked on for eating a piece of bread <laughs> at the, you know, the bus stop? But, you know. Because you weren't eating that super donut like everybody else was. That, that part. That part. And, you know, not, not knowing. And, and people are afraid of. Super donuts are so good. I had to give them up, Lord. Oh, once you had it. I don't know what that how is. Do just, how do you just walk away? Somebody listening right now is fiending for a super donut and wondering where they can get it from. Oh, no. You I was introduced to later. super donuts. I, I mean, I don't even know how to explain it, but like a bullshit ass donut on crack that's awesome and amazing like i just almost <laughs> want to buy the case of like 80 and send you some of them but i can't no. give you some shit that i don't eat no more like i don't feel right about that not really but super donuts is something that i was introduced to via school like i didn't eat those at my mom didn't buy a super donuts like the free lunch and breakfast program at school gave me fucking super donuts yeah, I had and for not being they, used to, they used to warm them up. Somebody right now was like, y'all, we used to eat them joints at school. They warmed them joints up. But even that is bad for you because, one, they probably put it in the microwave and all of that radioactivity running through the shit. You know, microwave and shit is bad, but we do it every day anyway. <laughs> and we stand in front of it. And then wonder why we can't get pregnant later. Like, because you... You took you use your for the last you few years, years your black ass has been standing in front of the microwave. That's you why you can't you, you yes, you done. You know what I mean? And then not only did they microwave the joint, but should you have been microwaving it in that plastic? No. What type of toxicity did that add to the shit? Like something terrible, I'm sure. But you know, the list goes on and on. There we just really had to open up. And make it a clear space and be intentional 
about mental health in the many ways that affects us and the many ways that we can work to combat it. And it's like, when I, the more and more we talk about this, I'm like, oh, that's a factor and a variable contributing to, you know, us, you know, adding a body to the prison pipeline. And I'm just like, oh, mm-hmm. damn, we're talking about eating better and doing better, but then most of our people are living in food deserts. Yeah, they can't can't afford so it. How am I gonna how am I gonna give you this list of shit you need to eat when you might not even be able to get it at the store? You don't even really have access to that store, but down the street at that corner store where and, the you know Arabs and Chinese and Vietnamese people are selling shit, they got top ramen noodles for your ass in there though. But princess, that's some bread and some hot dogs. That's that's another part of the conversation of you know growing growing our own food. And, you know, people, oh, well, I live in an apartment. Well, I mean, we see different ways of how people can. can I got some, I got some mint growing in my window right now. See? And you can get some, some lettuce and a raised box here or there. I don't think, I don't think my window sealed because see, I don't have like a little outdoor like trellis or nothing. So it's just like sitting on the inside of my window sealed. So (laughs) so it's only so much I'm going to be able to grow right there. And I'm listening. I'm trying. And it's, and I've been growing mint for like a year or something. So I could grow some shit and you too can grow some shit. Um, matter of fact, one of my new things, you know, I always, I have these different idioms that I live by that I try to put in pour into other people. And of course, one is like, you know, sisterhood, nation building or nothing. And from that comes, you know, the Black Quick Collective. And from that comes, you know, Sister Weekends, where we're building up women, encouraging women, bringing women together to do more pertinent things for themselves so that they can enrich the community. And then you have like, um, Black Sister Sunday, where I post all these images and these things for black women to think about and embrace each other, you know, like every week, just take time off for us and then, um, you know, think local, live global. No, live local, think global. I've been drinking. I don't know if you I said, said it or not, but yeah, <laughs> I've been drinking and... Speaking of mental illness, I literally just got a text from <laughs> my suitor or what, however, the man that I go see about some dogs. Okay. He just texted me and said, why is Umar at my university spoiling the minds of our people? <laughs> Woo! Anyway, um, go ahead to the ultimate top black Negro psychologist in the world, Craig, I guess. But I digress. Um, I've been drinking, but what I was trying to say was... Um, live... Live local, think global is one of my yes, things. Ma'am. And like I said before, um, our dear sister, both me and Rhonda's, um, Ashley, Dr. Ashley Robinson, um, is a travel agent. And all of my passport stamps is because of <laughs> Ashley um, and her uh, travel agency thingy passport required. And it doesn't mean you have to have a passport to travel because if you want to go to Miami and Vegas, um, shade but no shade, you can take your ass right on and she will help you get there and you'll have a fantastic trip. Why? Because Ashley knows how to do Miami and she damn sure knows how to do Vegas. Been there, done that with her. Um, but passport requires hit Ashley up on, uh, I was going to say the Facebook, but that's not real, on Instagram 
is at the legacy keeper. And I try to encourage people to see the world. Why? Because the more you see, the more you know. And the more you know, the more you're able to be a greater influence to the sisters and brothers around you in order to inspire them to do more, do better, be greater, do better shit. Um, and the latest thing that I add, and I'm getting to this, huh? I said it totally changes your perspective on life. Travel. It really does. We was in Dubai. We was like, hmm, 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 hmm. Something to think about. You know, like <laughs> you did, like your, you know, you know, your ideology starts shifting your views and knowledge of the world. Like y'all, I mean, uh, Rhonda knows like the whole history of Dubai and the Seven Emirates. I swear, because when we was on our tour. She was like, oh, we paid this man? I got some questions, boo-boo. Can you tell me this? Well, what about that? And who is she? And what is, how does that relate? Yes. Ask questions. Yes. And so, like, sisterhood and nation building nothing. Sisterhood and nation building or nothing. Nation building, um, living locally but thinking globally. Um, and all of these things are something that I try to promote on a daily basis, and I try to live my life. Um, through those things. So I'm not just talking about them, but people are able to see me living in that. Um, my latest thing, and it came to me like last week when I was talking to one of my sisters. I don't even remember how it came about, but my latest thing is you grow, girl. And when I said it, yes. I really meant what I what I was referring to was what you just said. We're able to grow our own food because there's so many different alternatives and, you know, you can Google and look on Tumblr and Facebook of all of these different groups, especially like black urban people who are really, you know, changing the game and trying to teach and share um, the knowledge of growing. Like I follow a page on Instagram that everybody should check out just for like ideas in general. Um, I think all my people, all my people deeper, all my people deeper. Um, uh, they're like these extravagant young black folks that's traveling crisscrossing the country, like doing urban growing and farming and like showing people in their community, like young people, like how to farm. Like we, we, we raising these chicks, we, um, getting these eggs. These cage-free eggs, we growing, we doing this, we doing the, you know, like alternative, all this shit that they're doing. Check them out. All my people, deep. I might have them on soon so we can talk about this, but we saw this white chick last Sunday. Matter of fact, when I was leaving brunch um, with my with my sister from St. Louis that came out here, like we had brunch, whatever, woo, woo, and we saw this white lady with a trellis tied to the top of her car. And so my sister was like, oh, you know, like, what's going on here? And she was like, oh, it's a trellis. And my sister, her mind was like, bitch, I don't know the trellis. But <laughs> she like, we thinking she was trying to do something with the trellis. And so anyway, she's like, it's for growing. And so my snark response was, you grow, girl, instead of saying, like, you go, girl. And when I thought about it and I walked away, I was like, you know what? I meant that on the, I was like, I told my sister that, and I was like, yeah. She was like, yeah, I've been trying to get into, so you know, some stuff. I was like, you grow, girl. And then I was like, you know what? Now that I think about it, that means so much more than what I initially yeah. said it meant. Like, yeah. you grow. You grow into knowing more, doing more, being better. You grow into knowing that you are in control of your wellness and that you are, you know, slightly able to influence other people's wellness around you. You're able and capable of having conversations about mental, 
you know, well-being and health and how we need to talk about that more in our communities. You can talk about that to your family. You can talk about that to your friends and maybe your friends will start talking to their friends and their family. It's something that needs to be more prevalent. It needs to be a more frequent conversation that we're having amongst ourselves, that we're having community forums and discussions about. Like, we have to stop leaving mental health out of the equation when we talk about all of these different things and how they're affecting us because it's key and it's central to everything that goes on around us. And the foundation. It really is. And it's like, you grow, girl. You grow, boy. You grow. People are like, oh, I got a new position. You grow, girl. You grow into that. And you grow above that. You keep going above and beyond. And we have to go above and beyond to have these pertinent conversations about our mental health. And it's okay to be depressed. It's okay to be stressed. It's okay to be anxious. It's okay to be down. It's okay if you're feeling one way one minute and another way the next. It's okay. You know, like, all of these things are okay. And we can't cast out people because of that. We can't, you know, write them off. We have to investigate something. And it's okay not generally that. like that. Huh? Oh, yeah, exactly. And, and, and you know so what I mean? Like, we have to start to, like, not take things personal and just realize, especially if it's someone who you love and who you know loves you, that they're asking you questions because they're concerned about your well-being because they love you. And, and, and take things that they say into consideration. Now, sometimes they might be a little off whack, but at the same time, you, you know, you owe it to yourself to ask a professional the questions to make sure that you're the best you so that you can, you can grow girl or grow boy. The the research says, like, there's so many different barriers that come with, like, treatment of depression um, and other mental health. And, and 40, you know, 40% of people are in denial. Like, mm-hmm. nah, ain't nothing wrong with me. It's okay it if something is wrong with you. Or being embarrassed. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. And if you're embarrassed around people, please take time and surround yourself with people who are more loving, who create a safe space for you to be who you are and seek what you need in order to be better. You know what I mean? Like, we have to operate in safe spaces. And for me, I'm going to just go ahead and be transparent before I jump into my own episode about my own bout with depression and suicide and all of these different things. Like, my mama was never supportive of me when I was in those spaces. Like, ever. Like, never, ever. And it's like, at some point as an adult, I had to separate myself from that. Because oftentimes, friends, family, people we love, our husband, our spouses, or whoever, can contribute to the reason why you are depressed and you're down. Like, they're putting you in this space. And it's like, no. No, no. You have to be able to say no. And it's like, you have to one of my counselors told me, you got to love you enough. One of my counselors was like, princess, you're an adult. You're on your own. Your mama don't pay your bills. She don't run nothing in your house. You got your own place. Um, and princess, <laughs> like, the same exact thing I was going to say. You have to love you enough to she, do what's she, best for you. She basically told me something that T.I. Uh, said a long time ago. She grown. She got her own mind. That's, that's basically what she told me. She told me, like, Princess, you're grown. You have your own mind. T.I. said that shit. And one of those songs, one of his ratchet songs, he was just like, she grown. She got her own mind. And that's basically what my counselor told me. Like, Princess, you're grown. You got your own mind. 
And you have to be yeah. control of that mind and your well-being. And, yeah. you know, she was just like, you have to distance. She was like, you can love your mother from a distance, boo. She was like, once she started backing you up against that wall and, you know what I'm saying, like verbally, emotionally abusing you, she was like, create space. Hey, mom, I actually have to go. <laughs> She's like, why are you holding the phone letting her badger you? You know what I mean? Like, you got to go. Don't do that. You don't have to submit yourself to that. Mm-mm. And especially as an adult, like, yeah. as adults, we got to pull back. Like, she not going to put me in that space. They're not going to bring me down. And, you know, you have friends that are in denial about their mental well-being and their negative energy and all the negative stuff that is going on. It starts negatively impacting you. And you have to love yourself more, even when they can't love themselves enough to pull themselves out of that and create some space. Like, hey, boo, I tried, but uh, I'm going to have to give you a room, and then maybe they'll see the light and be back once they're well, and you can talk about it. Like, okay, sis, like, I really want to help you, but you're going down a hole, and you was kind of taking me with you, so I had to retreat. And oftentimes, but, you know, oftentimes the best thing to do is to pull away and let people solve their own problems, figure it mm-hmm. out for themselves, aside from you. Because you got to help yourself first. You have to love yourself mm-hmm. enough. And whenever you're on the plane, if you ain't been on the plane, hey, some of us don't. Some of us don't have the luxury. I never got on a plane until I was like 18. When you're on a motherfucking plane, they be like, hey, you got to help yourself first before you try to help put your mask on first. (laughs) You got to help yourself first. You have to love yourself first. You have to love yourself enough. You have to help yourself first. But in helping yourself, you often, it benefits everybody around you when you're being able to be a bit more transparent about what it is you're going through and how you're dealing with it. Because if somebody can see, like, hey... Princess made it through. I remember when she was in that space. Then they feel safe to come to me and talk about it, and we could talk through it and help them with their wellness. And it's just something that we should be more open to. We, we'll talk about sex all day. Oh, yeah, yeah, girl, I'm out here fucking raw and doing X, Y, and Z. No, 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 right. no, 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 That's cool. Me too, girl. But, like, you can also talk just as freely about what is going on with you and your mental, like, girl, I was feeling mighty bad. I was feeling mighty bad. Like, on color purple. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> you know I Miss Sophia said she was, Miss, Miss Sophia was like, girl, I was feeling mighty bad. She wasn't, she felt it was a safe space for her to share that with Miss Ely. Like, I was feeling mighty bad. I was feeling mighty bad until I see you that day, Miss Ely. Mm-hmm. And that also reaffirmed for Miss Seeley, like what she was able to do for somebody else. And I'm sure, you know, you that's take that you take that kind of shit to heart. Like, you know, you never know how I'm I'ma just pop up on her because that might make her feel better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she going through some stuff. You know what I mean? We just have to be I'm more transparent. We have to be more I was thinking about her. And that could just turn your whole mood around. Mm-hmm. Somebody sent me something in the mail. Like when people, because you know I have a number now, 202-888-4YAC. And actually, I think that translates into 202-888-4925. You can call me. You can text me at any hour of the day, any hour of the night. Most of the times I'm up. Why? Because I need more sleep. Why? Because my overall mental health and well-being needs that. But I'm generally up. And if I don't answer, leave a voicemail. I'll call you back. 
you can text me. Um, anything you have to share to be open, I'm going to be talking all month long about mental health and issues. You can share something. Um, I can keep it confidential if you like. If not, you know, I don't read my text messages to my friends because that's none of their business. If they want to read text messages and responses from people that I get about my podcast, and maybe they start their own shit. Um, but my, my shit going to be better, so you might as well just mind your business and stay in your lane. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> I love you all dearly. Um, 202-888-4YAC, which is 202-888-4925. Please share your comments questions, concerns, anything you think I might need to add to the next episode about mental health or whatever it may be, because I'm really seeking um, as much input and information as I can because I want the month of May to be an important space for us all to feel safe and to talk about these things more frequently. Um, Just even as we move past May. Um, And I'll revisit this topic because I feel like we don't talk about it enough. There's so much that's going on. It's like so much. And we never know. Like friends commit suicide and then it's like, well, what happened? And then it's like, you don't know. And then it's like, damn, he killed himself. Like, what could I have done? Like, what were, did I miss a sign? You know what I mean? Like, we just need to be more observant and informed about the people we love, um, especially about ourselves, because you got to gotta love yourself and be up on yourself first before you can. Yep. Mm, there's a song. Sweep around your own front, though. <laughs> before you try to sweep around mine. So make sure your mental health is in line before you worry about mine. <laughs> but I want you to worry about us all because this is just something very important. And I mean, let's just be honest. It's something where, you know, people, like you said before, people hanging on the Lord, just take to the Lord in prayer. You know, sometimes it's not enough. And maybe that friend who committed suicide kept taking it to the Lord in prayer and kept holding it in instead of getting the help and the services and the support and the love that they needed in order to help them through that. Um, we can't do anything alone. Uh uh-uh. We just can't. We are islands. You weren't born in this motherfucker alone? Like, it took two. <laughs> <laughs> There's a bunch of songs, just the two of us. It takes two, baby. Yes, it takes more than one. We have to cope with these things, you know, with other people um, in conjunction. Um, we have to take the the denial, the embarrassment, the the um, the idea that we need money or insurance because a lot of times we don't be having that. Oh, we don't have that damn copay. I know how often it is that I don't go to the doctor. My fingers fucked up right now from work. And I'm just like, about that copay. <laughs> I think it's going to be all right. I'm still managing. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's my my finger. And if, you know, anything goes around and starts getting real crazy, I'm going to just go ahead and release that, that copay. But, <laughs> you know, um, I just want us all to be better, to be bigger, to do greater things, um, and to really start digging into this conversation that is important, that's often neglected or held in, you know, like people in the profession and in the field and, you know, in academia, they talk about this shit every day. But Uh the average Joe is not talking about this. Like, all that theory is cool, but we got to get into practicing 
um, and practicing on a very, you know, like grassroots level um, amongst each other. Like, we, we have to talk about this. Like, self-care is revolutionary. Um, and mental health is the central part of it all. Like, because making sure your mind and stuff is together is pertinent. <laughs> but um, anything else you would like to add? I would like to say thank you for being an amazing cheerleader for the field of mental health care and outreach and taking care of one another. Um, I am in the process of uh, trying to do some things locally on a grassroots level. Um, some outreach had, had been done um, on certain things, but even with that, it's just working through the, the liabilities of things, because that's real as a professional. Um, and uh, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm really hopeful um, and, and um, just looking for the, the goodness that's going to come out of um, conversations. Um, if anyone wants to reach out to me um, on Facebook, I'm Rhonda Bostic. That's Rhonda without an H and Bostic with a K, so R-O-N-D-A, B-O-S-T-I-C-K. And uh, on Instagram and Twitter, I think I can be found at Rondakins, R-O-N-D-A-K-I-N-S. Um, I, I don't claim to, to know everything, but um, I do uh, consider myself as a connector. So if I don't know, you know, a little um, something, something for the honeys. That's that's all it takes. And um, I mean, you know, like <laughs> what you know what a book that I need to rejump into that I didn't really finish reading and that I alluded to about you know like things that affect our overall mental health and well being is this post traumatic slavery um, syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a, that, that book by, um, Dr. Joy, what's her last name? Uh, what? Joy, what? Joy and Frankie. <laughs> I like sunshine. What y'all know about Frankie Beverly? Y'all know shit. Anyway, Joy DeGray or something like the groove, something like that. Anyway, the book is Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome. Um, I started reading it. I ain't finished reading it. And that is how most books be going, like all the books that listen by my bed. But mental health and well-being is something that's important to me because one of the things amongst books, um, of course, I have a queen like me and superhero like me. And if you haven't gotten mm-hmm. those books, you're losing. Um, <laughs> you're losing. They're literally right by my bed. I can, I can touch it from right here. Um, a day. Um. One of the things that is by my bed is the obituary of a young man that was murdered by the police in Savannah, Georgia, but he just so happened to go to school in the DMV. Um, He graduated from Parkside, I think, in like Lanham, somewhere in PG County. If you're from the DMV, you know what I'm talking about, Parkside, shit, Parkdale, Parkside, whatever. That wretched high school that everybody be trying to do, like, oh, man, Park. Wow. Anyway, yeah, he went to that high school, and he was living in Savannah, and, like, he was in and out of SCAD. And um, he was, his girlfriend called because he was having a manic episode. I think he was, like, bipolar. He had a manic episode. His girlfriend called because she needed help. And um, the police killed him. And his obituary was by my bed, and I'm just constantly reminded. And not only that, but his name was um, Matthew Ajibe. Um, But he also went by, like, 
Matthew Black or Matt Black. And for me, you know, I'm Princess Black. And, like, it's, like I went to his funeral service, and I was just sitting there, and I was learning all of this stuff through his friends and his family. And I instantly felt not just connected because we're Black, how I feel connected to all Black people, all people of African descent, brothers. But I'm so connected to him. I'm like, yo, this is like, this is a black man, Matt Black. I'm Princess Black, you know, whatever. And even though I changed my name, I changed my name to Black, my last name to Black, because I, because it helps me in being, in reminding myself that I have to love us unconditionally because we're so hurt as a people. And oftentimes, you know, like we're turned off by like, man, I can't stand these niggas. No, I love every one of y'all. I love every black person. I might not like everyone, but I love that everybody. And I would die for black people and for, you know, our liberation and for whatever. Like, I'm down. And while I was there, it was just this thing. And it's just like, I felt like there was a certain level of, like, probably denial amongst his family. You know what I mean? Like, because we as families, if we... Not embraced, but made ourselves more aware and equipped to deal with the, the the issues that our family members may have. And we wouldn't depend on the police to come help us. We'd be able to pull together our own. Why couldn't we call Uncle John or Uncle Ron or, you know, our Brenda's boyfriend? <laughs> why she couldn't come help? You know what I'm saying? Like, why can't we be trained in how to restrain or how to respond in, you know, these situations because clearly we can't leave that in the hands of the police. We can't. Not so it's just, you know, just just speaking back and thinking back on last week's episode, Are You Prepared for Jehovah's Return? And talking about preparedness in general, we have to be prepared to deal with the issues that our family members and our friends and our loved ones are deal, dealing with. If our friend, you know, it might not even be a mental illness per se, but if our friend has epilepsy or bae or auntie or mama or whomever our loved one is, we need to be able to know how to deal with, uh, you know, uh, epilepsy, you know, seriously. If our friend, if, you know, speaking on preparedness, like, if people are allergic to certain things, do we know where their EpiPen is? Do we know where their um, asthma inhaler is? Do we know? an alternative to those things that can help them. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like, we have to be prepared. Yeah. So when people are having these, you know, these episodes, we need to be able to deal with that because we can't depend on nobody else. The state has shown us that we can't depend on their mental health institutions. We can't depend on their fuck-ass police. We can't depend on them for shit. we got to start depending on each other. So not only do we have to start having these conversations, but we have to learn how we can train ourselves to help our loved ones cope. Like, oh, I'm going to get into that more when I start talking about myself. Like, how could motherfuckers have saved me from a 36-hour cycle? My G, Lord. <laughs> because if I wasn't as strong-willed as I was, I would probably be crazy and on some psychotropic medications right now. Okay. It, it was left up to the state. If it was left up to the state of Illinois and Cook County, I probably would be fucking insane by now. Uh, yeah, the system, the system uh, fails us. 
And when you see these homeless people out here on the streets and they tripping and you start talking to them, they be like, oh, you know, I went to Harvard. And then you be th- then some people be like, ah, I ain't gonna lie, I ain't gonna know about Harvard. Yes, he did. He did. He just <laughs> he didn't make that up. <laughs> oh, he went to Tuskegee. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and white man probably gave his ass something at Tuskegee, too. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, list goes on and on, but I think this is a great start, and I just want to thank you, Rhonda, for helping me um, coach through this conversation and kicking it off for Mental May. Um, I'm going to do a little bit more reading for next week, y'all, and I'm going to be on some. Maybe not. Let me not even lie like that. But next week is going to be lit because we're going to be talking about black men and mental health, um, which I think is something that we often neglect way more than we neglect, you know, like. Yeah, like, very much so. Extremely. Yeah. So that's going to be powerful. Um, Mr. Ian Biddle, um, wherever you are, sir, have your ass ready for next week. And also Willie, <laughs> Willie Lynch. He got a bounce when you say the junior, who's a comedian. Um, I hope for you to have those two brothers on so they can share their experiences. Um, and, oh, and really kick it up a notch. And both of them are, Hmm? You know what I look forward to that. I he's friends oh. with you and I think I followed him for something. I I don't know. Yeah. He's pretty that. funny. He's funny. He's really funny. I just hope he don't never mind. I ain't gonna get there. He's funny. He's great. Another comedian that I met in Chicago that's, you know, like awesome, you know, whatever, blah blah blah. Mental May, tune in next week. Have a friend listen to this episode, play it back, rewind it. Two zero two eight 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 for yet that's two zero two eight 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 forty nine twenty five and we out. Peace. Peace.